So we continue tonight with um, our First Peter uh, study that uh, every couple of weeks when we meet on Sunday nights, we are uh, walking through, and as Blake just said, we are tonight coming to verse 10 and 12, but I'd like to back up to verse 6 and read that uh, just as a reminder, since it is a couple of weeks in between these uh, studies, these uh, times we have together, and you know we've had a lot um, that we've looked at in these passages, so I'm going to start in... Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, and read through verse 12. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with, great, or with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And so if we've been a Christian for any length of time, um, and as we talked briefly a while ago, we're going to face trials. We're going to have difficulties in our Christian walk, uh, we're never promised otherwise um, within the Bible. And so we know that in our lives, that's going to happen. In our Christian walk, that's going to happen. And so in the case of Peter's epistle here, uh, the situation he's writing into is full-on persecution. There's some really bad, horrible things happening. Uh, but yet, we can still have some kind of connection or context uh, to understand just generally trials, difficulties, and so forth. Um, but here, Peter affirms the challenges of living a Christian life faithfully to God, even as Peter's pointed us already to the future hope that we have in Christ. That living hope we talked about several weeks ago that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. But for all the emphasis that Peter places on the difficulty of the present experience for a Christian, and then of the significance of that future hope for, that Christians have, Peter now makes another emphasis for us we need to make sure we see tonight. What we see in these verses for tonight is that simply living in this span of time, in this span of history from the cross and the resurrection all the way to October 16th, 2022, we share in a privilege. We share in a privilege that's caused even what we read here, the prophets of the Old Testament to look in and long to see what we see. It concerns this salvation. And this historical time that we live in today, this privileged timing that we have, it even causes the angels to look down. It even causes them to long to see what we experience in the salvation of Christ, to see the grace that we've received as Christians. Beloved, what Peter's saying to you and to me is that even though we get weary and we get worn out, yes, we're to have that 
long-term view, that eschatological view of that hope, that living hope. But he says here, consider the scope of history in which you and I live. There's never been a better time to be part of the body of God as that we're in right now. And so it's not because of any particular situation or circumstance that we have in our culture or because of things in our culture that are just so wonderful. It's because of the beautiful fulfillment of God's salvation that's already taken place in Jesus Christ. And it's now being proclaimed and offered to this generation in a way that's never been done before. They've never heard these things. They've never experienced it. So as we look at our passage tonight, we're going to see um, what I'm going to call three points or three reasons that help us see how great this salvation is. So three reasons to see the greatness of this salvation. The first point is going to be it's predicted by the Holy Spirit. It's predicted by the Holy Spirit. The second point is going to be it's searched for by the prophets. It's searched for by the prophets. And then third and last point is going to be the angels long to observe it. The angels long to observe it. So point number one, it's predicted by the Holy Spirit. Look back at verses 10, verses 10 through 11 with me. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. Peter's saying here that the prophets were prophesying about this grace, this salvation, that's come to us through Christ in our day as a gift of God. It's happened, this has happened by the Spirit of Christ working in the prophets, predicting through their prophecies the sufferings of Christ as well as his subsequent glories. So by calling him the Spirit of Christ, we actually start to see this connection between Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's in that spirit that um, was sent by Christ to make these things known and that he's highlighting the truth concerning the Christ, the Messiah, the one who's going to come and would receive God's people. And in fact, that spirit was predicting these centuries before uh, that it would ever happen. And it's, I think it's significant for several reasons. So I'm going to cover some kind of subpoints under this first one. The first one being, first subpoint, the prophet spoke in great detail of the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this happened, these prophecies, these uh, statements were made centuries before Jesus was ever on earth. And it's a beautiful confirmation to us regarding the truth of Scripture, which is always perfectly filled, fulfilled. No, not one single iota ever falls to the ground unfulfilled. And we see the prophecies come true in the fulfillment of Christ all the way down to how his garments were distributed amongst his executioners. Second sub-point here is going to be that by highlighting the Spirit's predicting of these things through the prophets, Peter draws the Christian experience of his readers into a unity with the people of God from previous generations. So Peter's writing this letter around 60 AD or so, and even as Christianity was new to these first century Christians, it wasn't something that had just suddenly popped up out of nowhere. It's not just something that's come up in the time period of Peter's writing. As, as amazing as the incarnation is, 
The fulfillment of what God had promised for his people was a promise dating back well before the incarnation, well before Christ's earthly ministry, before his death, before his burial, before his resurrection. It's the fulfillment of what God had promised long ago. And so our third sub-point here is that this highlights for us the centrality of Christ and the saving and redemptive plan of God. The mystery of the Spirit in every generation, ministry of the Spirit in every generation is primarily focused on directing people to see Christ. To see what he's done for our salvation. His ministry of the Holy Spirit is primarily focused on helping people to see Jesus Christ through his inspired testimony. So that even though you haven't seen him and you don't see him now, you can know him. So that you can know his salvation. And so that you might share in his sufferings and that you would then share in his glory. That's what the Spirit's about. That's what the Spirit has done from the beginning. And so now I want to spend some time looking further at this um, issue of what has been said. What has Scripture said previously in these prior generations? And I'm going to walk us through several different Old Testament passages. You don't need to flip there for time's sake, but you could just write these passages down and then look at them later. But just I'm going to kind of give you some um, kind of uh, points in time so you'll kind of see this timeline coming along um, leading up to uh, Christ's earthly ministry. Um, So in Genesis 3.15, this is several thousand years before Christ. The Spirit inspires these words. The Lord God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's from the very beginning in the garden, pointing us to a Christ to come. Then we see in Psalm 22, verses 16 through 18, now we're a thousand years before Christ. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So same chapter, Psalm 2, but now verses 30 through 31. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. And then Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 11, now 700 years before Christ. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And then Zechariah 12.10 and uh, a verse out of verse, uh, chapter 13. Zechariah 12.10, now 500 years before Christ. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on him, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. 
Zechariah 13, 1, just a few, few verses later. On that day, there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. So the Spirit has been testifying to the world for generation after generation after generation that we might see Jesus and that we might hope in Jesus. How the Lord wants us to see that hope and that it's found in Christ and how that reminds us that the greatness of the fulfillment that we've seen in our day. So as we've just looked at how this is, this connection between the generations and the Spirit's prediction of these things, we also see in Peter's letter how he distinguishes the church age, this period of history where we live in now, from Christ's death and resurrection to October 16th. We, along with the readers of 1 Peter, have a distinction of receiving God's grace that no other generation has experienced. This distinction is one uh, from those before us, which brings us to the second point. The greatness of the salvation is searched for by the prophets. The prophets searched for what we looked, what we'd been, for what we've been talking about so far. Look back again at verses 10 through 11, if you would. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So the prophets who lived before Christ had spoken about the salvation that was to come, and there were certain truths and certain facts that the Spirit had revealed to them, and in some ways it was in great detail, as we just read. They predicted many of the events of Christ's life and death on earth, but there was a certain portion, a certain aspect that was still not quite complete to them. It was a little bit fuzzy, a little bit shadowy in content, if you will, simply because it hadn't happened yet. So what did that lead the prophets to do? Well, according to Peter, they investigated, they searched, they inquired, they sought to gain more light regarding these revelations of the Spirit. And so I think we can assume that, that would, they would take into account previous scriptures that had been written. They might even take into account their own prophecies from before. And they might even consider historical circumstances that they had uh, knew about and, and could refer to. And they're trying to figure out all this, how all this fits together and what it's going to look like when it's fulfilled. And so specifically in verse 11, they were inquiring what person or time, the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. So more than just simply wanting to know about the salvation, they wanted to know about the Christ. They wanted to know about the Messiah. And I love this picture that we read here. They understood that the person of Christ would bring the work of Christ. They saw the salvation, but they knew it was the person of Christ that would bring that work of Christ. It's the same thing. His person and his work are the same thing. So we touched briefly on Paul's uh, similar emphasis this morning um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, Blake touched on this, where Paul states to the Corinthian church, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The focus isn't on a politician. It's not on some prominent leader. It's not even on a certain theology. Those things don't save us but the focus is on the person of Jesus Christ. 
And so these Old Testament prophets knew Jesus would suffer. They knew there would be glory, but who would it be? When would he come? And what will be those circumstances around his coming, and how will these things occur? Those are the types of things the prophets didn't know. So they searched. They inquired carefully. They longed to know what this fulfillment would be. And they longed to know what you and I know now with a lot of clarity. So rejoice in the privilege that we have in this truth of the gospel made so incredibly plain through the word of God. What the prophets longed to know has now been proclaimed to you and I. That's the privilege of our time. What the prophets longed to know has now been proclaimed as good news for anyone that will receive it. The fulfillment of our salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is being announced today. It's being proclaimed. And God was so concerned that we would know that it was good news. He gave it a title, the gospel. He put a title on it. That's what the gospel is. It's good news. It's the message of our salvation. Look back at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that you have now been announced to you, that have now been announced to you, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And Peter says, our experience of his salvation is so great that even angels long to look into it. They want to look in and see what God is doing through Christ for the salvation of men and women. And so that brings us to our third and final point for tonight, that the angels long to observe it. This final phrase in verse 12. He says, these are things into which angels long to look. Scripture tells us that angels look on at the redemption accomplished by Christ and experienced by people, by humans, with longing. They look in on our redemption with a particular delight, a particular amazement that they themselves will never experience. There's a particular awe that they consider that in Jesus Christ, God took on human flesh, not angel flesh, human flesh, for the sake of our salvation. So listen to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And Jesus says in Luke 15:10, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The angels love to see the unfolding of God's redemption. Redemption that's been brought to us through Christ. Angels rejoice over our redemption. Shouldn't we also rejoice over redemption of one sinner? Shouldn't we also be thrilled when the redemption that Christ has won for us? And so as we begin to close tonight, Peter's writing here in this book to Christians. 
This isn't just some blanket statement to humanity, to all of humanity, but he's writing to those who have, been, who have put their trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. His death for their sake, his payment for the penalty of their sins. This resurrection life, which we are then given to enter into, is a gift. The gift of God's salvation. And so tonight in closing, I pray that this will be our hope. Let's pray together. Father, you are a good and mighty God. And that you love us perfectly. And you have provided a way for us to be reconciled to you. And so, Father, thank you for these words that Peter's written that we can see this living hope that awaits us, this inheritance out in the future. But then we should be encouraged also that we have this uh, privilege of being in this current time where there is clarity for us to see a better, clearer picture of your redemption. And it's something that the Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament writers couldn't fully and completely see. And it's a privilege, it's, a, it's a, an experience that we have that angels long to look into. So Father, stir us tonight that we would see that privilege and it would stir us to be a church that brings you honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.